Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Land Development Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Glick. And if this is your first time joining us, our show is dedicated to having industry experts uh, on the show who can share just inside information on what's going on in the land development industry. And I'm excited today to be joined by Dan Knopp from the Home Builders Association of Greater Des Moines. Dan, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm not sure that I qualify as an industry expert, ah. but uh, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> no, for sure you do. And I think that's where I want to start is with your current role and what you do. I'm interested to know how you found yourself into that particular spot. Have you always been in this industry or kind of where did, where did your career path go to, to end up at this point? Yeah, it's uh, definitely not been in this industry, but I've been around job sites my whole life. My 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 dad's father uh, was a carpenter and built things. Two of his brothers had construction companies. So as kids, we were always around it. But um, no, my path deviated there. I I turned 18 in boot camp. Uh, so I, I out, of, out of high school, I was I chose I enrolled in college and chose not to go. Uh, went to the Navy. Spent about six years in the Navy, uh, fixed electronic systems, so completely disconnected with construction. Yeah. Um, got out, got engaged. Uh, my wife's a couple years younger than me, so her last year of or her last semester of college was my first semester of college. She got a job, Principal Financial Group. So we moved from a small town in Northwest Illinois uh, to Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Um, I had just moved from San Diego six months prior. So to me, yeah, let's go. Let's pack up. And we got to Des Moines uh, January of 1994. And uh, we started thinking, okay, we've, we've got a wedding to plan. We want a house. We want to start a family, right? So all of these things that life throws at you. Um, so I tried to find a job and I couldn't find a job because I didn't have a piece of paper, mm-hmm. right? So I, yep. I, I could prove that I could fix the piece of electronics that was broken in your home or in your business. But without that piece of paper, nobody would give me the chance, which is why I'm so passionate about the trades because I feel like there are a lot of paths to success and they don't always necessarily mean that you have a piece of paper to prove that you know how to do what you do. Right. Uh, So fast forward, uh, she's like, well, what about all these carpentry jobs? You know, I, I, thinking about starting to pay bills and move down that path where we like, maybe, maybe I don't want to go to college immediately. Uh, plus it was January, February. So it was kind of an odd time for the school year. Uh, so I called a guy and uh, I said, I don't have any tools. I don't have any experience, but I'm a hard worker. I'll be here every day. He, uh, he said, well, you know what? I got two carpenters with experience that are supposed to start tomorrow. History tells me that one of them is not going to show up. So mm. if that happens, I'll call you tomorrow night calls me Monday night. Neither of them showed up. (laughs) So I started on Tuesday morning, carrying lumber, humping plywood. uh, And over the course of a year, um, I gave him back the tools that he lent me and started buying my own things. And I was leading a crew for him after about a year. And a contractor that I was building for actually saw potential and said, well, what are you doing? And why don't you come work for me and I'll teach you how to build homes. Um, So in 1995, I started building homes uh, did that for about 22 years. I have a lot of different versions of that. Uh, at one point, I worked for the biggest builder in Iowa, and I ran a custom home division for them. Um, I own my own business. I started a remodeling business with a guy. Um, so I've had a lot of different um, turns in my path. But uh, at one point, I became connected with the Home Builders Association. Um, I actually served on our board of directors on behalf of 
my boss. Okay. Um, he was so busy. He was like, hey, I can't do this anymore. Would you have interest? Uh, so I started serving. Um, when I had my own business, they recruited me to uh, to not only serve on the board, but get on the leadership ladder. So I was a local president of our association in 2011 and uh, really saw the inner workings of the association. Um, what I saw there, we had about a three, three year revolving door on my position prior to me. About every three years, we had a new exec. And uh, the thing was that they were all association professionals. None of them had anything to do with the building industry. So when I lobbied the board, I said, I'm not sure how good I'll be at this, but I do know that I love building. It's been my life. And uh, I think I'm uniquely qualified in that regard to do a good job here. I said, but I'll let you determine that. So we came to some terms and said, let's try this. And that was 2014. And uh, I'm still there and things are still going well. So that's awesome. So coming up, coming up on 10 years. Yeah, it's getting really close. Yeah. So, okay. I didn't know any of that. So that's, that's really interesting and an interesting background coming up through really the home building path and then coming into your, your role right now. Um, with what you do, I guess one of the things more on the, on the, uh, HBA side of things. So I'm guessing people listening, uh, some of them may be familiar or members of an HBA and whatever market they're in others mm-hmm. may not be. And I think what I'm interested in exploring then is how, how does the HBA, you know, work for members? Like what does membership give a particular company, whether they're a, a builder member or an associate member who may be a part of the HBA? Um, what do you see as kind of the primary value that uh, the organization brings? You know, um, everybody that everybody that is asked this question, almost everybody, I should say, has one of two answers. Um, one is uh, we want help lobbying. We're tired of the codes. We're tired of these cities being heavy handed. Um, And the other, everybody wants to network. They want to grow their business. Just like you, when you first came, how do I meet developers? How do I meet builders? So those are the two common, most common answers to that question across the country. Um, So everybody's looking for something unique, right? And they want to provide something unique. So how do they meet those people? And how do they convey that message to them? So we try to focus a lot on those two things. Um, our local membership is connected with the National Association of Home Builders and the Home Builders Association of Iowa. It's called a federation model. And you're either a member of all three or none of them. You can't just join one okay. without the other. But what that does is it gives you advocacy at the local level, at the state house level, and then at the national level. So our organization in Washington, D.C. is the uh, most highly regarded or one of the most highly regarded lobbying organizations in the country. Um, you know, depending, check the local administration, because if it's a housing-friendly environment or non-housing-friendly, um, then the, the amount of that they want to listen varies. Um, our last president, uh, his dad, President Trump's father, was a home builder before he got into commercial real estate. So Donald Trump grew up on and around job sites, starting at residential, building up to skyscrapers. So he knew what restrictions were put on us and what kind of burden that can be to the cost of housing. Um, So our lobbying efforts in D.C. focus around that entirely. Um, And then at the state level, we're at the Capitol from, from January through the end of session, which is usually in April. 
And uh, we do the same thing. We talk about uh, we talk about codes. What is the new energy code? What is the new building code going to do to the cost of housing? But then 12 months of the year, we're constantly in touch with city managers, city councils, trying to look at a local level. Well, if we change to the 2018 building code, what does that mean to to the cost of housing in your community? Um, then the other side of that is is the uh, the networking piece. So we have a lot of events and HBAs. We're, um, we're called different things across the country. So if you're listening in Rhode Island and California, it may be a building industry association. It may be a builders and remodelers. Uh, it might be something different than an HBA, but it seems to be home builders association is the most common that I hear across the country. Uh, but we do a lot of different networking events every month. Uh, we have free events uh, several times a year. We have events where you pay to come. Um, but what I like to tell people is it, it's like going to um, the very first class reunion you ever go with your your significant other to. You don't know any of their friends. You don't know any of their stories. You're just kind of sitting there hanging on their shoulder waiting for maybe another spouse to say, oh, who, who'd you come with, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it really can be awkward because... Um, and it's described as clicky, but but think about that that time that you went there and you're like, well, I'm going to have to either inject myself into a conversation and force myself to meet people, or I'm just going to sit here with my wife or my husband all night and just listen, right? So I, I see that happening a lot in our association, but we've got those opportunities and that's what people really want. They want to either meet the builders or they want to meet someone else that they can sell to and a lot of people come in and say, oh, where are the builders? Where are the builders? But what they don't realize is they can sell their ads to everybody in our association. They can sell their carpet or their mortgage. Now, the builders give them more repeat business because they're able to sell them five houses worth of carpet or 175 houses worth of carpet. So I understand that. But um, those are the two reasons that most people join. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, those are kind of the two that I had uh, on my mind, you know, as I was asking the question. I think having conversations with different developers and builders, I, I hear a lot of the talk around uh, the different, you know, communities that may have different restrictions on some of the building and oh. some things that are holding up projects. And, uh, and so I definitely see that angle of it from the standpoint of, well, it's easier to do business in city A than it is to do business in city B. And therefore in, you know, they're going to look for projects to do in city B. And so how do we, how do we better, um, you know, how can we change things or make it more apparent in that first city where they are so restrictive? And it sounds like that's what's done by the organization, maybe at the state level. And then the state is able to um, have an impact on the individual municipalities. Is that how that generally works? Or do you have to go to the cities as well? We we have to go to all three. Okay. Yeah. So we try to change the language if, if possible at the national level and then before it becomes state code. And then at the local, they either... Uh, adopted or they modify it, then adopt it. So we're fighting at all three levels. The challenge is, um, and you work primarily with land developers, it may take somebody two to three years from the time they actively purchase it, thinking I'm going to develop this tomorrow mm. before they have lots available. So they go through different iterations of stormwater management and and different versions of how does this kind of fit with the zoning and how's this going to work? Am I going to have cul-de-sacs? I'm going to have through streets. Am I going to have turn lanes that are going to have traffic studies? All these different pieces go through it. So even best case, it takes them multiple years. Um, in some cases, there's land out here. I know uh, I know Vista and our friends over there are great fr- you know, partners of yours. And um, you know they've got property that they've owned for 10 and 15 years. 
So when the city says, hey, we're going to change this code, a lot of times they're so pregnant with a project that they have to go forward with it regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the market we're seeing now, uh, so many people are moving to town. Uh, the resale market is very, very slow. Um, people that are in a 2 and 3% mortgage really don't have a lot of desire to sell their home. So the chance for first-time home buyers or move people moving to town to buy, uh, a lot of times that's falling on new construction. Yep. So by default, we're having a lot more construction than we maybe would have expected in this soft of a market. So what's happening is the developers are having to go forward even with the codes being increased and the cost going up because there's nothing else out there for people to buy. So the yep. consumers are having to pay the new prices regardless of whether they want to. Yeah. And it makes you wonder with, uh, you know, the cities and kind of thinking about how in order for a project to go forward, it has to, it has to be profitable. It has to make sense for a developer to go forward with it. And therefore, if, if certain requirements are being put on a particular development, I mean, it's going to end up being passed on to a, the price of the home and therefore prices are going to go up. And so it seems, it seems obvious that that's how it's going to flow through, but um, it, it feels like at times it's not thought about from that standpoint. It's like, well, it needs to happen. And you know, those prices aren't necessarily going to, they're not going to be eaten by the developer, you know, and not passed on to the consumer because they've got to hit their numbers as well in their projects. Well, for sure. And, 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 the piece that I think really gets overlooked is the risk that the developers take because they're making this investment to build whatever community we're in. Um, so the developers are really putting that risk out there. If the market falls apart tomorrow, you know, they've got to have their bases covered to make sure that they're not going to lose on those things. So here they are building your city for you. And, and I don't think they get a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Um, the cities are, are they, they definitely have, you know, a focus and they, they, they understand. Uh, and, and sometimes it almost feels like they become singularly focused. Well, we've got to fix stormwater. Oh, well, let's try to work together. There are a lot of different ideas about stormwater. Um, but if you just tell us that this is the way you're going to treat our stormwater and try not to get, or don't worry about getting input from us and feedback, then we're going to end up in a contentious relationship. So we'd rather have you come talk to us and say, Hey, do you have any solutions? Have you seen other things tried in other communities that, that really work, right? There's some, there's some amazing ideas across the country and really smart people that have tried a lot of different things. Let's, let's learn from them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that credit doesn't feel like it's given. Yeah, no, makes, makes sense. And for the context, uh, today is November 6, 2023 is when we're recording. <laughs> so from a market condition standpoint, that's, that's when we're recording uh, here in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, so Switching gears just a little bit, I'm, I'm curious, and this will be interesting because you have been involved in so many projects over the years. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do on the show was um, be able to highlight or spotlight either, you get a choice here, what you want to do, either spotlight a project that um, is a you know one of your favorite projects that you've been involved in in the past, mm-hmm. or maybe one of your most challenging that we can dig into a little bit. And it does, when I say project, it doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a big development project. It could be a, a house project or just a, a project you've seen happen as you've been in your role with the uh, the uh, HBA here in Des Moines. Um, so just interested what what angle you want to go with that and if you have one that kind of stands out to you. Yeah, you know, um, 
over the course of my 22 years, I've built and remodeled over 700 homes. So uh, there's probably really tough time picking one or a few of those. Um, so maybe I'm going to stay away from that side. And, and I think I'm going to lean more towards my HBA hat. And um, we brought a, 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 an immersion event to town. It's called Build My Future. I'm extraordinarily proud of it. Uh, you know, as part of the National Association of Home Builders, I'm part of a group called the Executive Officers Council. And uh, there are about 600 local associations and we share best practices all the time. And I remember going to a conference in Denver uh, a few years ago, probably seven or eight now. And I I remember hearing uh, a a lady named Charlize from Springfield, Missouri, talk about this hands-on event that they were hosting called Build My Future. And I was immediately intrigued. I was like, oh, well, that's what we need. You know, we need to get kids laying brick and pulling wire and doing what they do. And and uh, so that following year, we went down to build my future and we saw it in year two and we were just hooked. There were seven of us. We drove down in a suburban and spent the night and we came back. How do we do this and how do we do that? And um, in uh, the, the, the next year, um, pre-COVID, right before COVID, uh, we hosted our first event and had 1,700 kids at our very first event, which was more than the largest in the country in year one, right? So the groundswell in Des Moines for what we were doing, uh, we had buy-in from everybody. We had buy-in from union labor shops, uh, merit-based labor shops, uh, the state, the, the Department of Education, Workforce Development. A lot of people bought into what we were doing. Now we fast forward. Um, we did take a break for COVID. And the schools were begging us. Yeah. Please, please, please don't take this away from the kids. And um, we hosted at the state fairgrounds and technically it's not part of any city limits. Uh, so uh, right up till two weeks before the event, we were on and uh, we just got to the point where the state was like, I don't think we can do this. So we shut down. It was the right thing to do. Uh, but just like I said, this when the schools are reaching out and just literally begging, yeah. these kids need something. And uh, we couldn't provide it for them. But then we fast forward. So now we're going to be in year five. And uh, this year, uh, this last year, you know, we hosted about 6,500 kids. Uh, It's the largest of its type in the country. Um, But these kids show up and if they want to operate a crane, they operate a crane. If they want to do something virtually, you know, virtually weld or literal wag, literally weld. Um, It's such an amazing event. Everybody that comes especially the adults say that it's the most moving day of the year for them to watch these kids just light up. And, you know, out of 6,000 kids, you know, we may only get a few hundred of them that are really truly engaged, but if we can make a difference in those kids' lives and show them that when we say that there are more paths to success than just having a degree, then we mean it. Right. And, and it may not be, for five or 10 more years from that point in their life that they connect, but everybody's path's a little different, right? Some yeah. may go to college and may, may not make it. Their parents may tell them, uh, mom and dad, Hey, I, I really want you Susie to go to school. Okay. So Susie goes to school and a year later, she may say, that's not for me. Four years later, she may come out with a degree and say that really wasn't for me. What's my future hold? We just want to impact them enough that day. So that way they can say, oh, you know, that was really cool. I loved wiring those switches and I want to learn more about that. So to me, it's amazing, right? And and uh, from the time we get on the bus, 
we have people almost like cheerleaders that are getting them excited. Hey, who's ready? And, um, so this year we're expanding. We think uh, we're probably going to be at about 7,000 kids. Wow. Um, the uh, state continues to want us to expand. So this year we're going to get into uh, Department of Public Safety is going to have its own area. So we're going to block off a different side of the building outside. Um, and the state still wants us to get IT more involved. Uh, they want us to get healthcare more involved. So uh, we, we may not be that far away from having 10,000 kids yeah. in a day impacted by this event. So that's singularly the, the, the biggest thing that's happened in my professional career is what I would say. Yeah, no, that's cool. I was uh, there this last, uh, at the last event and I uh, was handing out t-shirts. And so, but yeah, being able to walk the the floor where all the exhibitors were at down there and seeing the, these high school kids going around from booth to booth and being able to get hands-on in the trades. It's something for me with my background more in the technology side, I've, I associate technology very similar to the building trades because I also think that this four-year degree is not as important maybe as it used to be, especially like it, it's not on the technology side. It's more just getting hands-on with certain things. And so um, I very much relate the two of those things together because I think they're very similar from that standpoint and how, how you operate in each of those industries. It's just get hands-on, find something that you like, and then get to work. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But uh well, we are at uh, about just over 21 minutes here, so probably time to wrap up. I think what I would like to ask you is, um, in closing here, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have any questions or want to dig into anything you talked about today a little more? Well, we're, we're and when I say we, uh, I, I'm blessed to be part of uh, what I consider to be the best team in the country. Um, our, our team at the HBA, uh, they're phenomenal at what we do. And uh, we're on every social media platform. So if they find out, uh, look, search out DSM HBA, hashtag DSM HBA, whatever iteration that may be, www.dsmhba.com. All of that information is, is there. We've got a lot of points of connectivity there to either reach out to us to get connected to a trade, um, to our shows, to sign up for events, to become a member. All of that information is there, but uh, we're really heavy on Instagram. We're really heavy on uh, Facebook. Uh, we we tried TikTok a little bit, but we <laughs> couldn't quite figure out yeah. how to make that work. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, thanks again for joining. And for those of you listening, uh, if you're not yet subscribed to the show, I uh, appreciate you clicking that subscribe button and, and uh, tuning in next time. So thanks for joining and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks.